Hey there, book gang. This is Amy Allen Clark from momadvice.com. I'm so excited to share another episode with you today. Today's topic is a friendly Goodreads competition inspired by the real life competition I have with a childhood friend. Just a reminder, this podcast is made possible through the support of our Patreon community. The Patreon app makes it so easy to connect with me after every show. Patreon's become a digital playground for me. I love designing bookish printables for you and creating themed playlists for your reading times and sharing my book stacks with you in real time. The cost for a whole month of fun is just $5. For roughly the price of one coffee, you can access my entire catalog of bonus materials. To learn more, head to patreon.com backslash momadvice. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash momadvice. This episode is incredibly special to me because I invited my friend Todd Greer to join me. Todd has been an enormous encouragement in so many ways that could honestly just make me cry if I went into how awesome he is. For today's purposes though, I wanna highlight what an encouragement he's been to my reading life. If you participate in the Goodreads challenge, you know it can be a little tricky. Is this challenge adding to my reading life because it's challenging me to read more? Or is it taking away from my reading life because I'm just consumed by a goal rather than sitting with my books and giving me some time to process them? I found the Goodreads challenge for me personally does add a lot to my life. But my reading goals are just deepened further through a competition that I have with my friend Todd. Now Todd's joining the podcast today to share about motivating each other to read more books. And you guys, he's a rock star in academics as well as an entrepreneur. So with our unique backgrounds, we've discovered how we read is very different, but we usually end up almost the same amount of books every single year, even with different habits. Just for some background information, Todd serves as Vice President for Academic Affairs at the University of Mobile. He joined the university in 2017 as Dean of the School of Business after a successful career as a business entrepreneur and nonprofit leader that included serving as a Chief Catalyst of Exchange 202, a shared workspace community in the heart of downtown Mobile. Todd holds a Doctor of Philosophy in Organizational Leadership with a major in Human Resource Development, a Master of Science in Ministry, and has a Bachelor of Arts in Communication Studies. All of that, and he still made space to talk books with me. Todd's incredible enthusiasm for reading is what makes this conversation even more of a gift. I'm excited to share this episode with you, along with a few book suggestions that Todd has read, but I have not gotten to yet. So let's get this fun conversation started with my dear friend. I am so excited to have you on the show, Todd. Todd Greer and I have been friends for a very long time. We have a unique connection because we have been friends through church camp. We were camp counselors together when we were kids, and our friendship has continued through the love of reading. So Todd, I want to warmly welcome you to my show. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and also, have you always been a reader? 
Awesome. Amy, I am just ecstatic to be here. I have been a fan of yours for a long time. I mean, we, we've known each other for years. I have been a big fan of what you're doing. And so I'm I'm stoked to be here and glad to be with your audience. I, I love the kinds of things that you guys are doing in the community that you're creating through this. Just wonderful to be here. So a little bit about me. Yeah, I, I'm a mutt. Okay, so this is a thing that you will find about me and it crosses boundaries from not only my reading interests, but the work that I've done. So I have been in politics. I've been in higher ed. I've been in church ministry. I've been a coach. I've been in the nonprofit space, the startup space. I'm a higher ed administrator in uh, Mobile, Alabama now, but I'm a native of Southeast Michigan, huge sports fan, uh, big business reader, but definitely love my mysteries, my nonfiction, historical fiction, that kind of jazz. So absolutely thrilled to be here, married with, with two kids, and they also now influence my reading habits and sharing the joy of, of how that comes together. I have been, you said, have I been a reader? I, I was one of those people, I think my my mom instilled in me just a deep passion for reading from an early age. And so I remember thinking that I was the kind of kid that would curl up with a book on the couch and just read for hours or get in the lazy boy chair since lazy boys is, is my hometown in Southeast Michigan. And I would do that. And my mom used to chuckle. She'd say, you know, your, your brother, the only reason he even knows how to read is because of the sports page, but you would consume a book in a day. And, and so that really carried through to today. And it's the kind of things that I see in my oldest. She's probably even more of a reader, a voracious reader than I am. It's been kind of fun to chart that journey and, and see how it all comes together. I love that. I've always been a reader too. I think that I even have a memory of being really young and the summer reading challenges would come yes. around. And I always made ridiculous goals, which yes. we'll be talking about. I'm still still doing the same you know, antics that I was doing before, but I did not reach my goal. And I set a silly goal. Like it was like a hundred books or 50 books for the whole summer. I did not get the prize and I was ready to cry because I came up to the librarian and she said, you set this goal and you didn't <laughs> make it. And my dad kind of pulled her aside and was like, please, she's tried so hard. Please just give it to her. And I laughed because, you know, I'm still doing that. And I think what adds to our backstory yeah. is that we are both Goodreads users. We set Goodreads challenges and we also set a very fierce, friendly yes, yes, and fierce competition between each other about our reading, which I credit you to a lot of the reading that I do because I need to beat you. Uh, well, and yeah, and you have a lot. I did not this year. Well, so I, I humbly have you on the podcast because I think I should own up to that. And I felt like I was going to do it. I was going to narrow in and like I was reading so much, but you beat me this year. So you and I, this competition has been great fuel for me. I think sometimes with the Goodreads challenge, the hurdle with that is, is it pushing me to be better and read more and consume more? Or is this becoming a hurdle by goal setting and feeling bad about ourselves if we don't make things or putting pressure on ourselves? And I wonder, like, does it bring you added joy to do this checklist? What are you on the Enneagram? Do you know what you are on the Enneagram? I think that plays into oh, gosh, it. Gosh, let's you know? see. I, I took it a while ago and I was like a three something Okay. There's like a three wing one or three. Yes. Okay. I, I was something like that. And I, I will tell you, it's been a while since I did that, 
but I, I know what I am. Strengths finder. I'm an achiever. <laughs> and that's so exactly. th- that, that's right. Yep. So I feel great satisfaction from Goodreads challenges yeah. and efficiently checking things off and meeting a goal. Well, and and I think to your point, I think that there's great value in reading period. I mean, ultimately, if you look at many of the great leaders throughout history, they're voracious readers. Because the reality is, you know, when you start to read somebody else's work, you're able to unpack and recognize, like, I don't know the whole world. I think there's something good about that. But there's also many reasons why we read. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. When I looked out on Goodreads Challenge, and I started this back, I think I'm probably eight, nine years into this process, I started looking around and I was like, okay, I want to be part of a community of people who also value the importance of reading. And, and it was funny. I was, I was hearkening back to even some of the things that provoked me to read early on. One of my friends who she's also from the same uh, hometown I am in Michigan, and she lives in, in New Orleans now. And she said, Todd, you know, I think it was the Pizza Hut reading challenge. Oh, yes. Because we got the free, the free, yeah, book it. We got those free pizzas. And it was like, well, shoot, if there is going to be a great reward at the end of this, I already like to read. But now I get the pizza that I never got, you know, that like pizza. As an adult, I still would want a pizza. Right? Give me a pizza with my book. I mean, absolutely. That's the win-win right to this. I started looking around and it was, it was trying to find Who was it that I knew that was also doing that? Because again, you know, we recognize in almost anything in life, if you have a goal that you want to set, you want to accomplish something, having somebody alongside you that almost becomes that that partner in it with you that, that holds you accountable, or in our case, you know, that will absolutely rib you when you're falling behind, that that helps. And so Amy became that person for me. And I actually started in awe of her. I would see these goals and these numbers. And, you know, at the time, I was like, okay, I'm going to average a book a week. So 52 a year was where I started out. Now, I will say last year, I believe I hit 85 books. That's huge. A huge amount of books. Yes. And and very notable in the fact that I was so proud of you. I, I really am proud of you for all the reading that you're doing because you're a dad and you have a very busy life. You didn't talk as much as I would like, but I'll do it in your bio about how demanding of a career that you have and to make space for reading is really hard. How do you make space as a dad and father for reading? Do you have certain habits that you've added into your life that make it easier to bring in more books? Because 85 books is a lot of books. Yeah. How do you make space for that in your daily life? You know, one of the things that I recognized while I was going through my doctorate was that it really comes down to how do you lay out your life? You know, how do you prioritize that? Because you only have so much time. You, you really you can't do everything and be successful. I was the kind of person that a lot of my reading habits, as we talked about, they were instilled early, but there were even things that I had to see. I was in politics while I was an undergrad and I worked at state rep campaigns and I have one of those brains, I have a hard time turning it off. So at night going to bed, I, I couldn't just go to sleep. And so what I picked up the habit when I was about 19 is that I had a mystery or some other kind of fiction just sitting next to me at the bedside. I would pick it up and I would read. And so that was the way I began to taper it off. So if you look at my life right now, my reading habits are when I'm driving. So yes, I am an audiobook person. For those of you guys that don't understand, I know some of you are out there and you're purists. I'm a multimodal reader. So I read with my eyes, I read with my ears, you know, if I knew Braille, I would read with my fingers and be okay with that too. But that was one of the things that I had to do. I look at, there are so many dead places in our life that I can just pick up a book and read. You know, when I'm traveling to work, 
I'm always audiobook. Because frankly, you know, if I want music, I'm going to curate it myself. I don't want to just go and listen to what's on the radio. I used to play video games when I was younger. Well, you know, video games take up a lot of time. I haven't played them in a long, long time. And so books come into that place. The other thing I shared a little bit before is even with my daughters, you know, I've got a daughter that's going to be 13 next year, a daughter that's going to be five next year. And in really prioritizing the reading with them, we do a chapter a night for our oldest kid or something around there that there's a consistent reading. I alternate with my wife, which kid we're going to read to each night as they go to bed. And it's huge because it's valuable for me because then I'm getting insight into the books for them. And so we have points of dialogue. I teach, you know, and when I teach, I have to be reading to make sure that I'm staying current in those places. And then there's the, oh my word, it's the weekend and I am just tired. And give me that blow them up cop kind of novel or give me the the mystery thriller that is so formulaic I get it and so I don't have to think so hard to get into it and so that's really kind of all of that coming together and I have one bad habit what's that I have a really bad habit Amy so like in the middle of the night now that I'm old I can't sleep and so like the witching hour happens and my wife is you know in the room there so I can't just like kick my audiobook on and listen to it out loud so I actually found sleep headphones. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I have a set. Okay. They are awesome. Yes. Yes, absolutely. In the beginning, I literally was using just kind of my normal headphones. You you take normal kind of headphones, the cans as they refer to them sometimes, and you try to sleep on your side. Well, I'm a side sleeper. That would always be really uncomfortable. So I started these and it was like, oh my word. So what I do is I set the sleep timer, 15 minutes, audiobook gets me back to sleep. I love this idea. I am also someone who doesn't sleep. I have insomnia. The other day I got up at two in the morning and just decided to start my day. I should just use my sleep headphones because I have them, but I didn't think about doing that with audiobooks because as a mom, I do them when I'm doing errands or picking up around the house. So if I have a bunch of things to do around the house, that's when I do audiobooks. I think part of it is also the way my brain works. Yeah. And I have to pick books that I can zone out a little bit yes. with because I don't pay attention very well when I'm doing multiple things. That's probably why when I treat myself to reading, I treat to a physical book mm-hmm. and I don't treat myself to audiobooks. Audiobooks for me are typically rereads. If we're preparing for book club and I've already read it once, I can zone out more with something like that. And nonfiction, honestly, because yes. there's no storyline that I'm following yep. and I can hop in and out of facts kind of like I do with podcasting. And that's an interesting one. You and I have talked about this before, but how we read, what we read, where we read, why we read, those are unique things. And it's it's really not something I think that we normally have dialogue about in, in this kind of human relationship. It is. It's funny. So I'm like you, a lot of times I will pair a nonfiction physical book after I have listened to the audiobook and I'm like, that's good enough. I need to lock that in. And so, I mean, even y'all can't see, but Amy and I are on video together. And so I literally have physical copy and I'm highlighting notes as I go through these things. And I'm like, yeah, that's a really important thing. And I want to make sure that I take away from that. And, and what I tend to find is books are about human relationship. Okay, they're about human relationship in what I read, but they're also about human relationship because I have an opportunity to mentor young men and women. I I get a chance to coach business entrepreneurs 
And I also talk to a lot of people kind of in that nonprofit space. And so for me, like books are my love language. I have one addiction in my life. And it, and it was an addiction that I, I readily admit to. I recognized early and I had a, a mentor who said, look, if that's the thing that you're going to commit to, that you're going to spend money on, you could have a whole lot worse things than books. And so, yeah, that's the thing. So I speak in books. Like I'm like, oh, Amy, you need to be reading this. Let me show you this. Here's this page or here's this chapter and I'll go to it. And people are like, oh my word, you read that much? I'm like, I love this stuff, you know? Yeah. I don't usually buy a lot of physical books. I do have a book of the month membership. And so that's sometimes the way that I get my physical books. I do get them as well as advanced readers for people that are looking for their books to get featured. For me, I prefer to do the Kindle. I love the highlight feature on the Kindle and also the ability to expand the Wikipedia on my pages when I'm reading something, particularly historical fiction, that I can open that up. And what I've discovered for me that really helps is that I can take notes digitally on the Kindle, you can open it up to get your notes and you also can highlight quotes or sections and those can be private. So when I'm preparing for book chats or things like that, I don't necessarily want everyone to see all my school notes on something. It's nice because I can catalog it in Goodreads and go back to it and I can see it on my profile, but nobody else can see it. So that's how I highlight my books. And I use their Goodreads quotes a lot too. Sometimes I'll put something that is notable that people have highlighted over and over. Sure. The one thing I will say about highlighting with the Kindle Paperwhite that I've discovered with thrillers and mysteries, when people think they found the clue, they will tend to highlight that section. And sometimes it ruins my experience to see, oh, this is the big reveal. Like they're giving us a sneak and 300 people have highlighted this passage. It pops up into my book and I realize now I know who the killer is or where this is going with the story. So there's a love-hate relationship with highlighting. But for me personally, it's nice because I get that experience that you're having with your books where you get to savor certain passages or come back to them. I like that it's cataloged digitally for me when I go back. Sometimes we'll pick books a year in advance, even a year and a half ahead of time before we release those books to our readers. And I can go back and see all these things that were notable back then yeah. and then listen to that audiobook and still have that dynamic experience that I need it, it, with my content. And I think that's an interesting thing to see how people unpack those things. So like, what's your go-to? What's your strength? What's your thing? I remember hearing Ryan Holiday speak. Do you know who Ryan Holiday is? Uh, stillness is the key. Ego is the enemy. The obstacle is the way. He's a big student of stoicism. And so he looks at all these things about how do we engage with a world that is is constantly in change and yet live in kind of this ancient wisdom. He pulls from the stoic philosophers and he's bringing that into kind of the everyday basis for him. But he was a student basically under Robert Greene. Well, Robert Greene is this deep, amazing, prolific nonfiction writer, 48 Laws of Power, and he's got all these other books, but he just writes so much and it's depth. You know, it's not just like fluff I'm getting through and there's no content to it. What what Holiday talked about is like he would keep stacks and stacks of note cards. And so as he's reading a book, he's writing note cards. And I'm thinking, oh my word, I hated that. You know, the annotated bibliography when we were young, it was like, oh, I left all that behind. I don't want to ever do that again. But it was fascinating to me to see how that works. And so to hear your highlighting thing, 
because I almost never highlight digitally. I'll highlight the physical copy, but I almost never do digitally. And I've not really gotten into the dropping a bookmark audio. I, I don't have that. I, I've never done that. I don't think that I interact with audiobooks necessarily as much as I do with my digital reader. But when I go to bed, I'm trying to get off my screen. Yeah. So I do tend to go back to a paper copy of book. And because my eyes are bad, because I also am old, <laughs> I, I don't want to read for a really long time because then yep. my eyes get tired. And then that naturally makes me want to go to sleep. So it's just funny because we all have such fun reading habits and quirks about how we want to do books. When I look at, let's just say, your Goodreads reading. Sure. Typically, I have a lot of overlap with people, yep. and you and I read very, very differently. And so I was looking for our common denominator mm -hmm. project recently. The one book that you and I both gave five stars and loved was Project Hail Mary. Yes, that book was amazing. So give me Andy Weir on anything. Okay. All right. He's one of those people, and you know, I mean, we all have those authors that as soon as they announce their next project, we're pre-ordering it. Right. right. Okay. So his, his is one for me. I tend to be with him. I love to listen to the audiobooks. He's had, and I'm blanking on the, uh, the narrator, but he's, he was a young guy on Star Trek. He did Bing Bang Theory and he, he was always a guest on there. Anyhow, he serves as a narrator on some of his early stuff, The Martian and et cetera. I always loved his narration. Well, the Project Hail Mary was one that was very fascinating. What's interesting, and I'll actually tie these into some of the other stuff that I think we're going to look at here in a little bit. This year, a lot of it was about thinking through and embracing human relationship. What's ironic about Project Hail Mary is that there's not really what we would think of a human relationship, but there's a lot of relationship that happens. And so the way that the, the characters were depicted and the way that they were narrated the audio engagement from it truly was this beautiful experience, I think, where it brought the story to life. Because again, we've all just endured a really hectic, stressful time. And so what does it look like to be on a mission? Okay, that's a big deal. And what is it like to be on a mission in which we have an opportunity to help others, to save others, to positively impact our world? That one really spoke to me in a way that I wasn't expecting it when I started into that book. How about yourself? Like what took you? So Andy Weir, I want to say, because it's like my one little thing about him. When The Martian came out, I reached out to him about being on my blog. Yeah. This was prior to Matt Damon's big Yep, the depiction. Yep, and, yep. And everyone getting to know Andy. I was so shocked when he replied back that he would let me interview him. I was so intimidated mm. about this because... He was probably my first dip into science fiction. I had never read anything about space yep. or any of that. I think one thing that we've come to know about Andy Weir is that they're very heavy on the science. Yes. It's awesome for people like my husband who loves, loves science. I tend to connect more to the story of things and skim the science. Yeah. So when he replied back, I was so nervous and I had my husband help me craft the questions for Andy because he was really enamored with the science in the book and I wanted to look really smart <laughs> if I was going to talk to this yes, guy. Yes. I was so thankful that he helped me with that. 
So I have been a fan of his ever since then. That's awesome. Project Hail Mary for me, I had a harder time getting into actually. When I read a lot of people do not finish this book, it's usually the first 200 pages that they're not connecting with. Because that is mostly science building for what's going to happen later in the story. After page 200, roughly, that is when I was fully into the story. The relationship that we're talking about, which we won't give away because we want our readers to get to experience that, that relationship is what really makes this book so memorable and adds to the mission of his time there that makes it such a fun experience for the reader. But I think that if you are not into science, those first 200 pages are a little cumbersome. I was glad that people had encouraged me to continue because if I was doing that alone and didn't know that behind it, I would probably have not continued with the story and I would have missed out so much on that book. I, I think you're spot on with that one. It, it is very interesting. And that was one where having the audiobook did allow me to be able to endure that easier. And sorry, the name I was looking for before was Will Wheaton. He was the narrator before. Oh, yes. Yeah, Will Wheaton can never, shouldn't forget that one. I think that's a, it's an interesting thing to see about how somebody sets it up. So the the pace of somebody's writing, you know, do they keep us moving quickly? Do they not? Where do they build the, the context of the background what they're trying to explain and walk through. And I think it was an interesting framework to see because you're absolutely right. They're so science heavy and I'm not a science person. I'm a social scientist and a business person. And I, I mean, my father-in-law is the science fiction guy who could eat this stuff up and would really appreciate it, but not me at all. I mean, that's, that's so far from me. But what was interesting is knowing Andy by his work, knowing that there's going to be a payoff. Right. And there was, there was a huge payoff. Absolutely. I liked, too, that The Martian, if I remember correctly, had a lot of F-bombs. Like, there was a lot of language in that one that was part of the character. Yeah. And with this one, he's kind of like this hokey little, you know, school teacher that has more clean language. So I think if people were turned off by that initially by The Martian, which is sometimes some feedback about that one, I still think it's amazing. That doesn't bother me, but I think that people who maybe didn't embrace that first book will really love Project Hail Mary because he's such a likable and lovable character. That is not as big of a factor in this story. I don't even think there was any language in this story that anyone could worry about. It was just someone that was lovable and you could connect immediately with. It was great to see that relationship develop within that story. Absolutely. In a a very unexpected way. Yes. So now that we've gotten the one common factor... Mm -hmm. I want to go through a few that you've read that I'm interested in reading to get your feedback on them. And the first book that caught my eye was The Price of Time by Tim Tigner. I'd love to hear a little bit about this book. It's great. And that's perfectly timely because if you go on my Goodreads and you see in my challenge, that was one that was just finished not that long ago. So later in 2021, it was one that, that caught my eye. And I'll tell you, funny enough, it caught my eye because... I'm a nerd and I love a good deal. Audible, I think, had the deal of the day on the second book. And I just assumed it was a series. So I jumped at it and I was like, okay, well, let's see. I'm going to get that one. It sounds interesting. There's good feedback as I look at Goodreads because, again, 
every time I think about a book, I have to cross-reference on Goodreads to see what does the crowd say? Crowdsourcing you don't waste your time. No, crowdsourcing is a great, a great thing. And then I look at, okay, so what does it look like Audible versus if somebody's looking in a print or, or digital edition? And I, I saw good feedback on it. And so I, I jumped in. It was on Kindle Unlimited and I have Kindle Unlimited subscription. I have a Scribd subscription, Audible, and then I buy probably way too many print books. Again, I'm an addict. I admit it. I, I jumped in because the premise was unique. So the idea that sets this whole thing up is the idea of immortality. So we have these scientists and we've got an investor. And the whole premise sets up on this group of people who have hacked the science and have figured out how to make people immortal. Okay. Think about that. All right. That in itself is not a new concept. We've we've had the fountain of youth, we've had other things, but the science framework as the initial launch pad, and it's not a very sciencey book at all. If you don't want to get bored down in the science, it launches it really well in the sense that you're going to see what happens when immortality or the perception of lacking of aging is in front of people. So what are the challenges that happen to that? What are the benefits, the weaknesses? What do you look at from a societal factor? And for the folks in the story, it's learning to unpack and cope with a future that they're not experiencing it with other people except for the immortals, their crew. So uh, fascinating read. Thoroughly loved it. It was very fast. It's going to keep a great pace. There's some really unique underlying stories that are happening there. To me, there's like almost like a book club kind of you could have some great discussions that come from it. And even think about parents with kids. Think about what does that look like if you could be immortal? What if you could not age and you were one of only a few people who could do that, how would you react? A lot there, I think, from the themes to be able to look at it, and and even just, again, human relationship. Highly, highly recommend that one. Well, I'm adding it to my list because that sounds like it's right up my alley. And that was The Price of Time by Tim Tigner. So I think we all should add it to our list. Now, the next one is a big blockbuster hit. I mean, we all know who this is, but I'm wondering because we both read 112263 and mm-hmm. loved it, what your experience is reading Billy Summers by Stephen King, which is his latest, hopefully, I mean, he cranks them out so fast. That's right. That's there right. might be another one yep. after this, but Billy Summers is one that has been on my list, but I think it's another big time commitment, right? Because it's, it's yeah. a big book. And you read that one and you loved it. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me about it. Yeah. What's funny about this, Amy, is I am not a big Stephen King horror fan in the least bit. Horror is probably one of those genres that when it comes to both movies and books, I won't touch. I I just love them. Do you? I love that stuff. Oh, I love it. Which is why you're you're a big fan of Halloween, right? Yeah, I am. I I love Halloween. I, I went and saw Candyman this week like oh, I, wow. I love to see all of the horror movies but i'm not just a seasonal horror person i like horror anytime so i i, I watch that i'll read it and i love it i love stephen king i need to read more of his books okay like his movies a yeah. lot there's a blogger who her name is laura tremaine i should say she's a podcaster mm-hmm. and she runs a group called 10 things to tell you and she does a stephen king book club and they read them together and then watch the shows together if you're part of her Patreon community. And I joined so I can get motivated yeah. to read some of his, especially his older books. Yes. I did buy it for my Halloween treat. Okay. And I want to read that. But Billy Summers is not horror. No, not at all. 
not at all. So it's it's a very interesting one because you're taking a look at again more than meets the eye, which I think is always an interesting thing when you have a writer who is going to give you an original premise. We have that and we're introduced to these characters. Billy Summers is almost the anti-hero. This is a guy who makes a living as a sniper and he had been a sniper in the military, and then and think about this, in the veteran context, what is it like to come back and assimilate into society? Well, he had a very particular set of skills, if I can quote Liam Neeson. He had those skills, and so it was like, well, what do I do with that? And so he is an assassin. He's a sniper, but you come to kind of uncover his own story. What's unique is he's portraying multiple people in this story. So he's taking on these cover identities at multiple times in the story. And at the same time, he's he's interweaving his own personal story. He's telling all of these things through his book. He he takes on the cover identity of an author. He kind of comes to the idea of, well, I'm going to tell my story, but I'm going to change it in such a way that people aren't going to recognize me. It's interesting because of the way that King kind of weaves in so many unique pieces and the anti-hero is the hero. Yet at the same time, you don't have to just fall in love with this person and accept everything. You do recognize that they do come with warts and hey, isn't that all of us? Now, this isn't a series, right? No. Does it? Okay. So it does conclude after you finish this. Yes. Did you do it in audiobook or did you do this in print? Oh gosh, this is bad. Is that bad that I can't even remember? No, I, um, I, I think it was audio. I think, yeah, I think it was audiobook. I think, I, I think it was on script actually. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Cause I think I did bookmark that on script, which is one of my favorite memberships too. Absolutely. I actually require it of my students in my graduate program here. I readily admit that when I do that, I tell them, Hey, here's a free <laughs> 60 day membership. Yeah. And Oh, by the way, when you do that, I also get it too. I think that if anybody at Scribd is listening right now, I am happy to be a spokesperson for you. Uh, <laughs> as long as you continue to give me free, I will continue to push it. So yeah, it's a, it's a big deal and it's, but it also allows us to, to dabble in different things with education. So, but yeah, that it's a fun one. There's some more mature kind of framework in that, but you do see, and you do wrestle a little bit with who Billy is about what his backstory looks like and you find empathy in some new and unique ways i'm excited to read it it is on my list and the other one that is on my list which is switching gears a little bit is a nonfiction book Mm -hmm. by greg McCune. that's effortless his first book i absolutely loved I actually did do the note card thing from his first book and got really into it. And it's the one that I reread every year. I'm wondering what Effortless looks like to you, what that experience is. Yeah. So in many ways, Effortless is a great partner for essentialism. So essentialism is how do we pare it down and how do we look at the things that are essential in life? Effortless goes to that next step of saying, what are the things that really bring the greatest impact and what are the greatest points for us that when we're embracing that, it's going to bring the value. I'm going to geek out here for a second. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi is a great psychologist who talks about flow, the flow state when you're kind of at that point where you're doing what you're really good at. Time just flows. I mean, kind of like this podcast, right? When you're engaging in something that you're passionate about, time just rolls. But you start to get some of that same framework here. What I love about Effortless, it's what do we focus on and what brings the greatest points of return? I actually have a couple pieces highlighted here, Amy, because it's a section about reading. And hey, what a great time to be able to talk about it. This is what Greg McEwen said. He says, reading a book is among the most high leverage activities on earth. 
for an investment more or less equivalent to the length of a single workday and a few dollars, you can gain access to what the smartest people have already figured out. That to me is one of the unique things about reading, because again, there are people in your life that you have proximity to, but then there are a lot of other individuals who you want to learn and grow from, and you're never going to get a chance to go hang out in a room with them. But by reading, they're allowing for us to step in to their journey. I, I finished Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights not that long ago. It was interesting to hear McConaughey's story and to hear others' story and to think about what are the ups and the downs and the things that they teach us all. And so that's a big deal. The flip side is right after that quote, he says, more than a quarter of Americans don't read books at all. And the trend is worsening. That to me is, it's tough. It's sad. And I, I think one of the reasons why I love what you're doing is we're engaging this idea that we don't have to journey alone when we're reading. And a lot of times we find even greater value when we journey together. So we, we find that when I'm able to unpack something from a book and I'm able to talk about it with others, and then I can begin to implement it. You said you use note cards with essentialism. What did that look like then? There were certain passages that just stood out to me. I feel like I am trying to minimize a lot of tasks. And there were certain things that he had said within that book that were profound enough that I wanted to sit down and write it out. And I wrote it not once, but like multiple times, some of the passages from that book, because it's a paring down process and acknowledging that I don't have a pared down process. Mm. Every year, I typically have a January read. This year, I did a different book, which I shared about, I think we did it in episode two on reading rituals, but there's a book called The Power of Ritual that if you haven't read it, it's really beautiful and a great like new January type of read, mm. but it's about experiencing everyday practices like reading and mm -hmm. turning them into ritualistic behaviors. So for him, like Harry Potter is read like the Bible, yeah. say, and you break down every chapter, you read it and then try to garner a lesson out of it. I loved the idea of creating rituals around things that I was not noticing. And with the pandemic too, I think I was craving some type of normalcy, some type of sure. ritual that I could go back into. That book for me was what essentialism has been in the past. It might be a reread where I sit down and I go through all of that every year because it reminded me about being aware of my surroundings or treating things as sacred practices mm -hmm. instead of treating them just like everyday habits. Where essentialism shines is the paring down and acknowledging that there's too much chaos going on and that I don't need so much. I'm attracted to anything minimalism. Mm. And that's what stood out to me within those pages was that I didn't have to have so much in my life and I was doing too much. Everything had too many steps. Yeah. I think that's phenomenal that you were able to think and process and take away from that. And I'll tell you one of the areas that effortless really was a takeaway for me is I'm quick to jump into something in the sense that if it's an area that I can quickly say, yes, I have a passion for it. Yes, I have skills around it. I want to jump in and do something. And then I jump in and I'm oftentimes there and I have to begin to look around and say, okay, how do I maximize the impact and so one of the chapters in Effortless is about lift. The mindset is, and I'll, this is again, quote from it. It says, whenever we want a far reaching impact, teaching others to teach can be a high leverage strategy. 
And, and that was really important. What I begin to think about it, even in my own teaching right now, it's that idea of if I can understand something well enough to teach it to somebody and help them to teach it to somebody else, then we have a residual impact that far grows beyond anything I can do on my own. Frankly, any movement we've ever seen has gone from the vision and the passion and the perseverance of that individual who launched that movement but it's them empowering and placing that thing in other people and, and giving them space to be able to go and share that with others. That's one that I think is just, it's a really useful thing. And it, it doesn't really matter what the thing is in your life, but learning about what is it that you can take that you are caring about, you want to make an impact with, and you can teach others to teach others to continue that, that ripple effect moving outward. I can't wait to read it. You've encouraged me now to add that back onto my list because I need to do that. I am excited to read it. So the next book I want to talk about, again, we're switching gears a little bit, but it's called The Other Westmore, and it's by Westmore. What can you tell us about this book and why we should add it to our stack? You know how that happens when Amazon gives you a recommendation and you just start thinking like, why on earth are you recommending this to me? I don't know a Westmore. I don't know anything about another Westmore. And and I hadn't known much about it. But what was really unique about this one is it's a true story about this guy's life as he's kind of walking through and learning about this other person on the other side of town who's also named Westmore. So he's in, I want to say it's the Baltimore area. He finds out there's another guy who's his same age named Westmore. And that guy's experience is not the same as his. He ends up going to prison. And and so the other Westmore is, is unpacking that. It really was one of those things that, you know, recognizing the privileges that we have is to me a very important thing. And it's something that I want my children to understand. I want my students to understand. I want to make sure that I'm constantly reflecting on that because we recognize that the context that we're born into really puts us on a journey for life. You've got Wes Moore, the author, who is this great academic. He is growing in his career and things are happening. And then on the flip side, another person with the same name, same age, is is embarking in a journey where family life is not easy. There's a lot of drama and a lot of challenge that he's facing. He's up against a lot of barriers for success and growth. And so how does he deal with that? And then what happens through the story is that they actually become friends. They start this relationship originally through letters that begins to tell this longer, broader story in which we see how do humans come together? You know, we may be vastly different, but at the same time, there's a commonality in this. The simple commonality was Westmore age and location. It's not a super long read. It's not one that is going to be, we're not unpacking science. We're not getting into anything that's, that's really hard but it's deeply about human experience and that biographical framework of these two people living in juxtaposition to each other. Mm, that sounds really good. That that one was called The Other Westmore by Westmore for those that wanted to grab it too. Well, I have one more. Yep. It's called We Hope for Better Things by Aaron Bartels. I have never heard of this. I've never seen this book. And that's why I wanted to ask you about it because you gave it a really good review. And I need to know. <laughs> so I will admit, being far from my homeland, my homeland of Southeast <laughs> Michigan, makes me nostalgic for anything that is like Detroit related or anything that really does take me back to my roots. I'll say that the redemptive works 
are things that I have been spending time on lately. So thinking about what is it that we de- see these redeeming qualities. We've walked through lots of fights in public between people and we watch the social media challenges that we have. A lot of this year was for me, I wanted to kind of come back to those redemptive aspects. How do we understand where, yeah, challenges happen in our history is, is it can be messy. It can be very messy, yet we can still learn and understand things. And so this one brought all of that together. So here it was, it's set in a combination of Detroit, Michigan, as well as uh, kind of Lapeer County, which is a more rural area outside the Detroit area. And it's telling this three-generational story about uh, a white woman and a black man and how those histories come together. And there's, there's an original relationship, and it leads to challenges in the family. It leads to some nuances and breaks in daughter and, and father relationship. The, kind of the leading framework is the narrator of the story is a writer. She's a writer for the Detroit Free Press, and she's kind of trying to own her own story. So she's just gone through a situation where she did something and it led to basically her losing her job. So her livelihood is gone. She doesn't have any money. And so she's looking for a fresh start. Somebody tells her, hey, here's this thing. I need you to go give this camera to your aunt that she don't even know about. Okay. Okay. So she goes with this camera and then the camera becomes kind of the arc for the rest of the story. So these pictures of the past and the things that she uncovers that she starts to let you know about, it it starts sparking you. And, and like a lot of really good novels today, it's one where you're intertwining multiple histories simultaneously. So I might jump back to the Civil War time period, and I might jump ahead to the 1960s, and I might jump ahead to the present day. We're bringing these in, and all of a sudden, as we see it, these stories begin to interweave. And and what does it look like for us to understand that history isn't always easy? Our own family history might not always be easy, and yet there are so many things that we can learn from as we understand what that means and how we have the opportunity and the agency to move forward from there. Okay, I'm sold. I'm, I'm going to read this. It's called We Hope for Better Things by Aaron Bartels. Amy, what's interesting about this too is this was her first book. Oh, I'm a sucker for our debut. I, like, it, yeah. That, I may have to reach out to her and, and have her on the podcast because the big focus, at least for me, is that we feature under the radar books and debut authors. So I'm excited because she is a debut novelist that we get to feature her today and that you speak so highly of this book. I know that I'm going to love it. Yeah, it's it's a great one. Uh, and now let me turn the script a little bit and flip it and talk because you have inspired my reads in the past. One of the things that I love, as I said, I'm a mutt. So academic, you know, I, I've spent time comm studies. I was in ministry and then in entrepreneurship and organizational leadership. And so I love things that kind of get to my social science brain, but I also love kind of genres and in books that, again, like the Tim Tigner, they weren't normally in something that I would go to, but I, I saw something and it made me go. And you've done that with uh, a number of different books. In fact, I remember there was a list that you did last year. And I think it was the one that you listed on it. Is it Mars is the author? Yeah. Okay. And I remember coming across that and I was like, okay, Amy, is this one I need to read? You were like, well, yeah, it's great. You'll love it. This is kind of where it came out. And so you explained a little bit to me of that, but how do you go through the process? I mean, 
obviously an arc, and, and I love a good arc. So any authors out there, I love a free book. It's actually, uh, now here, here's the thing. This is the geek part. Being a professor, I get a lot of work for free. So the instructor edition always comes in. And those are, you know, typically more dense. They're not as fun as a mystery read. But every now and again, there's one that they're looking at, a business author might look at as a crossover and say, Hey, I want to get it out there and I think it's valuable for a class and they'll send me free stuff. So I love free stuff. I like that a lot. It's a big I deal should, to me. I, I wish you lived closer because you could take advantage of the little free library that I put out for all those free books. I, I'm lucky because the nature of my business is screening books. And so a lot of publishing houses have me on their mailing list when they come out with work. Okay. And it is a double-edged sword. Mm. In theory, it sounds really amazing, and it is, because I don't want to say that it's not, but it's also very overwhelming because I don't have a team of people that are screening the books. Yeah. It's just me, and sometimes... It's like she does her own stunts, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> when, when publishing houses send it, a lot of times they're sending it in a lot of versions. So they send, sometimes it's an unedited yeah, proof yeah. of this book, and then they send it when it's in paperback format. Then they send it when it's in hardback format. Then they will send the same book again when it's being launched. So I might get five books that are all from one author because they really, really want that promotion for it. So I am really bad, though, because those books aren't necessarily the books that are always on my list, unless it's okay. something that I'm really excited about or it's an author that I've covered before and I want to keep continuing their work, I might not necessarily always feature all the books that get sent to me because part of reading for me is the discovery on my own. Yeah, yeah. I might miss out on things and sometimes that stack will come back to haunt me because people will be like, why have you not read this book? I have five versions of it. There's no reason why I haven't gotten to it. The book club itself is a huge motivator and reading outside of my own comfort is so that I can guide other people out mm -hmm. of their own comforts. I think everyone kind of gravitates towards the same things. We might all like thrillers or certain people enjoy historical fiction or only romance. The goal of the book club is to push that barrier a little bit. Also, when you talk about reading and traveling through books, one thing that I'm really proud of is that I am a small town girl. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a Christian household where my world wasn't expanded. I wasn't like living in New York sure. or getting a lot of diversity within my own life. Books for me have provided that ticket out, especially when we didn't have any money. Yeah. When we were really struggling financially, we didn't get to travel. Now yeah. we are lucky we've gotten to see some other countries and experience different things. But for me, my ticket as someone who didn't have a lot of money was my books to experience different things. And so my goal of the book club has been to push people out to rethink and re-examine their views about different things. And one book in particular, I think it was Lucky Boy, what led to a really great discussion. It was about a refugee's experience. Yeah. And it gave people a glimpse into an immigrant experience that they might not have had. Not everyone is born into that expanded mindset or has that kind of experience to learn from. I think that books 
bring us empathy to yes. situations. And I've been really grateful to get to be the person that helps guide that. It's a lot of pressure, honestly, because I want it to be the best experience ever. I've realized like I cannot possibly make every person happy. There will be books that will fall flat for people, but the idea behind it is that we think about things in different ways, whether it's, let's say the opioid crisis mm -hmm. or an, a refugee's experience or learning about a country that we not, may not ever get to visit. It's the idea that people can learn something new that it leads to thoughtful conversation. Yeah. I think in a social media world, we're not having a lot of thoughtful conversations. We're being very attacked and we may have deeply rooted views about things. The idea is it's a gentle introduction into talking about things that no one's opinion is wrong and that we show up with love and empathy for each other around the topic of books and books yield that kind of discussion that I don't see happening in my Facebook feed. Sure. And it, it also, it elongates our attention span. And I think we, we live in a time where it's hard for us to give attention to a lot of things. There's a lot of things that are, are trying to take us at every second. You think about the amount of distractions that we face. And so we do have a chance to journey into a place or journey into a, a, another person's shoes or story or whatever that may be. And we get to embark in a new identity. We get to embark in a new place. And so we can take that that place that's different than our own role and our own thought. And, you know, I was thinking about as you were talking about traveling, and I love the work of Bryce Courtenay. He's an author who's written a lot about kind of the unique times and cultures and, and interactions, both in South Africa, New Zealand, and in Australia. And he's got these great stories, and they are long. I mean, they're the, the super thick ones that you've got to invest some serious time in. And, and I'll tell you, as an aside, folks, these are the ones that make me go, should I be reading this? Because that should count for two books in my Goodreads challenge because Amy's going to get ahead of me right now. She's going to beat you. It is. It is. It's one of those things. I am aware of it. I also, I've been thinking about this, like I'm reading the, the Bible in a year. I try to do it every year. And I was like, can I get 66 books out of this? You know, can I, can I do that on my Goodreads challenge? Because if so, I've got my 85 stacked right there. I don't think that's how it works. And, no, and maybe I shouldn't exactly. run challenge with that one. But, you know, it is what it is. Those kinds of works. I mean, I, I've never been to South Africa, but... I've had two mentors that were South African. And so to hear the stories in apartheid era South Africa and to hear the stories that are kind of that oral tradition from when we have, I think it was Australia was a penal colony, Great Britain for England. And, and it was very interesting just to kind of like unpack and think about, wow, I've never really thought about that because in all of my life, that Australia, New Zealand, Oceania area, it's always just been paradise. You know, it's the place like, wow, that's that's great. And so to see and to think about where they come from, to think about the indigenous people of, of the area, that's what story can do for us. I love that. Well, thank you for being on this show. I hope it doesn't take away too much time from all your Goodreads challenges that you're doing. I'm very grateful for you. If listeners want to find out more about you, do you want them to connect with you on Goodreads? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and, and that's because one of the things I do love about Goodreads, when I originally got into it, it was the recommendations. The Because You Read This 
also check out this. And so, yeah, please, if you'd love to connect or you're interested uh, in what I'm working on or what I'm reading, please don't hesitate to, to connect there. And I'd love to kind of learn a little bit more about you and, and what you're reading. It's one of the things I do. I scope through Amy's stuff and I'm like, okay, I can read that. I can read that. And then it is, it, it, it does give us common language to be able to have these conversations. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, I'm thankful for you and I appreciate you sharing your stories with us. You're a great storyteller because I've now added all of these books to my stack. So thank you, Todd. Thank you.